To all of God's people, this is Mordecai Joseph again, and we are now in lesson 53. And last time, the last lesson, we, we were going through chapter 31 of Jeremiah, and in specific, about the new marriage covenant. It was a marriage covenant. And that is very important to understand that, that it was a marriage covenant, not just a covenant. People forgot that. And the Apostle Paul referred to that again. In other words, whatever the apostles have written, they have done it with the background of the law and the prophets, never apart from it. And so people do not know the law and the prophets from A to Z. They don't know what the apostles are talking about. They don't know what Jesus Christ was talking about. And it's very important for people to go back. Go back to the beginning. As Jesus Christ used to say, in the beginning it wasn't so. And so you got to go back to the beginning. And so read the whole story from the beginning. And then you'll understand when you come to the writings of the disciples, which later on people called it the New Testament. They gave a name to this whole, to all of the writings. The apostles didn't know about it. That was the name of the, the writings, the New Testament. Because the New Testament was not written yet, was not signed yet, was not ratified yet. The people had not been brought back yet. Only in the future, 2,000 years down the road, this was going to happen. What happened at that time, just few people that God began to work with as a group. Uh, as a matter of fact, even when he talked about it as a group, in the days of Elijah and Elisha, there were groups that people worked with, that God worked with, and they, you know, they were called the prophets, the house of the prophets, or the school of the prophets, and uh, they had the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was upon them as uh, the king of Israel, the first king Saul, had experienced, as he came among them, the Spirit fell upon him too, and he too began to prophesy. So, in that sense, there was nothing new about God dealing with a group of people that he had done in the past already. Days of Elisha and Elijah, and who knows how many other places where God did not choose to record it. And so, God was working with sprinklings, and he basically told them at that time that the blood of the new covenant, and, the, and the, the, in other words, the, the wine and the bread that he was giving them, that's of the New Testament, which is going to be now... Uh, they thought that was in their day. They thought that God was going to restore the kingdom now, in their day. They thought that was the end of times. All their life, until the end of their life, you know, they, they prophesied, and they spoke, and they preached, and they, uh, and they have written. And they told the disciples that Christ is coming. He's, you know, behold, he's standing at the door. And so you have to understand how the, New Te- you know, how the you know, so-called you know, the writings of the New Testament were written. Because under the perception, which was a misconception that Christ was coming in their day. So they naturally thought that was that was it. New Testament is now. But God didn't have that in mind. He was talking about 2,000 years down the road. And it's not until you, you arrive at, at this time that Jeremiah is speaking about in Jeremiah 31, 31, when he brings the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, which the apostles thought was going to happen in their day. Because in their day, they were not even far away. You know, they were in Babylon and beyond the river. Nearby, not too far. And so, understand it from that point of view. Otherwise, you don't understand it all when you read the New Testament. And so, it's important to see it from that point of view. And so, when we talk here, when God is speaking here long in advance, 2,600 years ago, about the New Covenant, this is what he's talking about. So, when this God came in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, and spoke to his disciples on the Last Supper about the New Testament, this is the time he was talking about. 
and they thought it was going to happen in their day. And so you understand the whole story, you don't get the point. And you don't get it properly. And you get confused like everybody else. And even the apostles got confused when it came to that. And not until the end of their life, so to speak, when John himself is writing about it, realizing, hey, the apostles are all gone, nothing is happening, so it's not this time, and then God reveals to him, no, that's not the time, it's down the road. And so he writes about it, and then he corrects the misconception that was told by the other apostles, and probably himself too, for all these years, that when Christ said, uh, if I want, you know, speaking about John, this person to, to remain until I come, it's none of your business. And they thought, well, he meant it was in their day. And so understand it from that point of view. And so when God says in, to Jeremiah, which later on he was talking about in the Last Supper and other occasions, Behold, the days are coming, verse 31, chapter 31, are coming, says the Eternal, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. That's exactly what Christ was talking about in the Last Supper. And those who separated, they think, oh, now this is another church, a new church, and now another entity. And that's ignorance. And only the unlearned, as Peter would say, would come up with that conclusion. Because they haven't read the book. A child cannot go into college bypassing everything that came before that and begin to understand what they are talking about. He may hear words, he may think that he understands, but does he really? And so it says in verse, in verse 32, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, that is, with their fathers, in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. Though I was a husband to them, I became their husband, they became my wife, my church. And so now you, you say, we're going to do it all over again. Only now, this marriage, where I become a husband again, you know, I'm the lamb, I'm the bridegroom, and they become the bride. It's going to be on better promises, where the Holy Spirit will be given to them, and my laws will be written in their hearts. And so he's talking about the time. Let's go back to it, so we can refresh our mind and see it properly. In Exodus chapter 20, where he gave the law, he came down to Mount Sinai, and that was the marriage uh, that he's talking about, and the covenant that he gave to them. And he gave them the law. And he spoke in person. The bridegroom came on Mount Sinai. And this bridegroom was Jesus Christ. That was the first marriage. It didn't work because they had no faith. And yet God knew it. He knew it all about. I mean, he knew all about it before he entered into that marriage. That it's not going to work. At least with the majority of them it's not. Some did. But that was a part of the plan. The marriage was to be on two levels. First physical and then spiritual. And then even at that time, most of them were physical, but some of them were spiritual, like Moses and others. And then later on, when he came in the flesh, there were those who had the spirit, but their children and other relatives, and maybe mates uh, or parents that joined them, but, you know, but did not necessarily go all the way, and God didn't choose to give them the spirit, just, you know, they came along. Uh, you know, they were physical, so it was always spiritual and physical at the same time. And so would the, the coming marriage where some will become spirit beings, totally spiritual, and others will be flesh and blood, but have the Holy Spirit, and others be flesh and blood, and still not have the Holy Spirit, like the little children and others, who still need to come alone. So we have to understand it from the point of view of the whole story, not a bit, you know, bits and pieces here and there, we totally get mixed up. 
Uh, so in the first chapters uh, from, uh, that is in, from Exodus 20 to 24, you read about the whole covenant and the laws of the covenant and the statutes and the judgments and the precepts and the testimonies and the ordinances of that covenant. It's not Christianity and it's not Judaism. And yet people use that and they call the entirety of the writings of God from Genesis to Malachi as the Old Testament. Well, that's man's concept, not God's. God called it the law and the prophets and the songs. And when Jesus Christ came to his people, that's what he told them, the name of these sections, all a part of one book, the continued story of the oracles of God. And then he continued to speak to them. And so the continued story went on, and the disciples recorded it, and that became a part of the writings. It wasn't any two separate books, Old Testament, New Testament, and that was all, as I said uh, before that, that was, a part, that was the invention of the false church, of the counterfeit church, to legitimize their illegitimacy. And we should not be a part of it. And so, in chapter 24, let's read, you know, uh, these uh, verses at least. We don't, you know, we don't need to read now, you know. You can go back and read the, the uh, you know, the four chapters from 20 to 24 of Exodus. Read the law of the marriage, you know, the condition of the marriage, the t- you know, the instructions of the marriage. And then re- and read the other things that God also gave Moses, which he would have given directly to Israel on Mount Sinai. But because they, t- they told God, in essence, they told the husband, hey, you know, we don't want to hear you. You know, we're scared, we're afraid. Let Moses speak to us. They said, okay. And I'll give it to Moses in person. And it's as if I gave it to Israel. So in that sense, he continued to talk to Israel, person to person, face to face. And Moses then brought it to the attention of Israel. And so we're in chapter 24 and verse 1. Now he said to Moses... Come up to the Eternal, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, you know, the two uh, sons of Aaron, and and the seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. So they had sort of a congregation. They went up there, body of witnesses, Adah. That's what they were. They were going to witness, you know, the witnesses of the marriage, covenant, ratification of it. And so they came up there. And they had a wedding celebration, in that sense. We're going to read. In verse 2, And Moses alone shall come near the Eternal, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go out with him. And so Moses came and told the people all the words of the Eternal, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Eternal has said. Which means that, He's speaking about the four chapters, chapter 20 to chapter 24. All these things were the words of God. These are not mosaic laws. This is the words of God, Jesus Christ, the husband of Israel. So whatever he said, we're going to do. All of them. And people say, you know, the law is the Ten Commandments. What do you mean the Ten Commandments? That's only the basic. That's only the part that God gave because people didn't want to listen beyond that point. You don't call they know the law the Ten Commandments. That's only no more than you call a house the foundation. You know, build a foundation and say, Well, this is my house. No, it's not your house. That's only the foundation to your house. Don't call it the house. You know, people may wonder about you if you if you tell people, Well, this is my house. That's your foundation. Foundation of the house. But where is the house? Well, 
the next four chapters tell you a little bit more about the house, and that wasn't the end of it, because the house was not being finished yet. And it's not going to be finished until, you know, the last uh, verse in uh, Revelation. And even beyond that, it's going to continue. And so in verse 4, and Moses wrote all the words of the Eternal. So God spoke those things to him. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. And twelve pillars, according to the twelve tribes of Israel, because that was the church, that is the church, that will be the church. That's where they are even in the heavenly Jerusalem that is descending on this earth in physical uh, the physical location of earthly Jerusalem and the gates of that city of Jerusalem which is the heavenly Jerusalem the mother of all of us all is named after every tribe of Israel and anybody who comes into that city will have to go through any of the tribes of Israel that is the gate there is no other way to God but through Israel and there is no other way for Israel to God and for that matter on a personal basis for anybody but through the Redeemer of Israel who is the husband of Israel so you go through the wife not that you receive salvation through the wife even though Christ said salvation of the Jews that's what he meant you come through Israel they're, they're the teachers that's the mother you gotta come to the mother where do the babies come from? from the mother is there any other way? that's what he's talking about people don't understand so you gotta come through Israel when you come through Israel, that is, you know, the, the mother is the one that you know, brought forth the child. And heavenly Jerusalem becomes symbolic of the mother. That's why it's called heavenly Jerusalem, the mother of us all. And then when the mother you know, brings forth the child, like it brought forth the child that became Jesus, the Redeemer, and the husband, and the father, and all those roles. And then the father receives that child when it is fully mature. And well, that's in essence what Christ is doing. Once everybody is all prepared and ready, then he turns everything back to the Father and becomes subject to the Father who is going to be all and in all. Understand the process from the beginning until the end. story didn't begin 2,000 years ago. And Moses wrote all the words of the Eternal and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, verse 4, and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the eternal and now they were going to have the wedding the, the wedding supper celebration so when you read later on about the celebration of the new testament the wedding supper and descend the first that's why i said when that time comes again now i myself in person i'm going to sit you know when you're all seated around the table so to speak of the, of the wedding supper i'm going to stand up around i'm going to serve you that's what he's talking about. And if you don't know the story from the beginning until the end, you really don't get it. You don't understand it properly. And so the unlearned, who have a partial knowledge and understanding, and still are unlearned because they have only a partial knowledge, they wrestle with the scriptures to their own destruction. You've got to have all the pieces to be able to construct the whole house, not bits and pieces. Verse 5, then he sent the young men of the children of Israel who offered the burnt offering, you know, or brought the sacrifices, in other words, they prepared the table, you know, for the wedding. And then Moses, verse 6, and Moses took the, uh, uh, half the blood and put it in basins. And this is the blood that Christ later on will say, just like through the first marriage. Well, I'll take this blood. You're going to be partakers of this marriage if you do. And to this day he tells us, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh. You have no life in you. You cannot enter into this marriage, to this relationship with me. 
And so Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, which was the entirety of these four chapters so far, the entirety of it, the ten, which God spoke in person, and then told him, don't talk anymore. He says, okay, Moses is going to talk to you, but I'm going to talk to him. And so all those things that Moses wrote, including the things that God himself wrote, that was called the book of the covenant, and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, and what the people that he's talking about, he's not talking about the entirety of the nation. You can't talk to the entirety of the nation. He was speaking about the ones that came up with him. Moses, that is Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, his sons, which unfortunately died later on because of their iniquity, because, you know, God was not a respecter of persons. So he got killed the two witnesses there, so to speak, uh, that came with Aaron, their father, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And so these are the people that, God, that Moses is speaking to now. So understand it from the point of view of uh, what God uh, told us and how he wrote it. And so Moses took half the blood and put it in the, in the basins. And then uh, verse 7, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people and these other people and all these 70 elders and Aaron and the two in the name of all the Israel, you know, in the name of the bride, all that said, all that the eternal has said, we will do and be obedient. And mind you, this, uh, these are the 70 uh, elders to whom God gave the Holy Spirit later on when Moses said, I, I cannot do the whole thing all by myself. God said, okay, can take some of the spirit that I gave you, you don't need as much. I'll give it to them. And he didn't tell him, I'm going to leave you with whatever you have, then I'll give him some more. No, he said, I'm going to take it from you because you don't need that much. I'm going to give it to them. So you're going to share it, so to speak. And so these are the witnesses. They were, you know, the, the core of the witnesses. And so were also in the days of Christ the 70 that he sent everywhere. And then later on, the disciples, you know, in the small core of them. They were the witnesses you know, on behalf of the whole nation, which were yet to come. Year after year, generation after generation, until the last generation of the second resurrection. You've got to understand the whole process, the way it works. And so he said, this is the book of the covenant. And they, and they said, in the name of the bride, whatever God said, we're going to do. We're going to be obedient. You see? Well, they were obedient. They had the Holy Spirit. But unfortunately, well, here two, two of them were not, because Nadab and Abihu or Nadav Abihu in Hebrew. Uh, Nadav uh, comes from uh, the word uh, generous, Nadiv, and from that comes also the word Nadava, which means uh, charity. That means when you give some, you know, help to people, you give charity. Uh, speaking about the thing that you give, not the quality of charity, which is love. But it includes that, you know, when when Paul says when he speaks about charity. Unless you understand what he said, because uh, you have to understand his language and what he meant by that, and what is his background, he's speaking about both. The intention of helping someone and the giving of the thing itself that is needful by someone. And this, together, is called charity, not just one part of it, not just love. You see, love without works is meaningless. Faith without works is meaningless. So it's a, an entirety of a concept. Well, the name of the of the son of Aaron was Nadav, and that includes the whole concept. And Avihu means uh, his father. Or uh, Avihu, or if you say Avaya, Aviya, which is the same, means God is the father. So, yeah, you know, two people that had uh, uh, meaningful names. And both of them fell 
you know, from grace, so to speak, they disobeyed God, even though here they said, whatever God said we will do, and later on they did not do that. So, God said, okay, you know, you have two witnesses that were Mount Sinai, I cannot let you get away with it, and he killed them on the spot. Later on, as you can read in uh, Numbers. And so, they said, we will do, and be obedient. Verse 8, and Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people, not as again I said, not the entirety of the nation, only the ones that were up there on the mount, 70 elders. People don't get the whole picture when they, when they read it, because they're not reading it carefully. It's on the 70 elders who were the witnesses, symbolically, you know, the body of witnesses that sim symbolize the whole nation. So he, it's on the people that he did, the 70, and Aaron, and his two sons, and he said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Eternal has made with you according to all these words. Just like in the Last Supper, when Christ gave his blood, so to speak, symbolically in the wine, only to the twelve disciples. He didn't have the whole entirety of the, of the body of believers that were with him, you know, that appeared later on in the temple, 120 of them in the temple, and then others that didn't make it, they were in, uh, maybe they didn't make it from the Galilee, or that, you know, not everybody could get into the same place. And by then, uh, there could have been some believers in other countries that already heard about the word of Christ and believed it which later on we find out because I heard the, the message of uh, John. And so, as God there in the flesh spoke only the twelve disciples and told them, well, take this, drink it, this is the blood of the new covenant. So as God here is doing, you know, the same person. The, you know, the husband of Israel is saying only to few of them among the church, but he's including everybody. Just like Christ was including everybody, not only in their day. As I said, I'm not praying only for those in John 17, the last prayer to the Father, but I'm praying for all those who would believe them through, you know, the, the word that I gave them. So it's always an, an entirety of it. In other words, the church is not something that just, or marriage that happens one time, like with man and a woman. It's a continuum. It's a process. And every day, every generation, when babies are being born, they're, they enter into that marriage, though they were not in the original one, but the original one is applicable to them. So as it was applicable to all of Israel being the wife of God from Sinai to the day that Christ came and died, so it is applicable from that time, only the marriage has not taken place at that time, but just the beginning of it in terms of the relationship, and you might say the engagement, you know, the inception, but not the birth. And so it will be applicable to the second uh, resurrection, to all of them. All of them understand the whole story, not bits and pieces of it, and then create new religions around it. That's what the world is done. That's why we have so many religions. And that's why we have so many churches, so-called churches of God. They all take bits and pieces. And so Moses took that. And uh, verse 8, And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, that is, 17 all, and those that were there, Aaron and his sons, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Eternal has made with you. Speaking about the entirety of the nation. Speaking about the entirety of the nation, generation after generation after generation. According to all these words, as Moses later on told them, it's not only with you that I make this covenant in Deuteronomy to the second generation, but with all those that will come after you and all, and all of your descendants. And then verse 9, Then Moses went up also in Aaron, Nadav, and Nadav, Beavihu, or Nadav and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel. This are the people he's talking about. And then, you know, this is uh, symbolically where uh, the witnesses of the first marriage, and then later on the disciples at twelve, as you read in Luke and other places, Luke 22, verse 20, uh, with the same statements in the Last Supper. 
Verse 10, and they sow the God of Israel. They, Moses, Aaron, the two sons of Aaron, the seventy elders, as the twelve disciples sow the God of Israel in, the per, in person, in the flesh, in the Last Supper, so did this in the first marriage. They sow the God of Israel. People know what it means, you know, they sow the God of Israel. They didn't see, you know, the brilliance of his face, otherwise they would have, all would have been dead. And, but they saw the God of Israel, and he, in essence, divested himself of, of his full glory to his sense, so they can see him without being killed. And so, they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and that was uh, the sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. So, this was the traveling throne of God, the God of Israel, the one that was sent from the Father. You see, he has a traveling throne, and this is what he came on. So when you read about Revelation, the sea of glass up there, uh, there is one that is a permanent one, where, the, where you know, heaven and Jerusalem is, and the Father, and the angels, and all that, and there is a traveling one. And both the Father and Christ travel on that one, and they come down to this earth. Only God does not reveal himself to us, but the Son does. The one that became the Son, who is also Jehovah. Both are called Jehovah, that means the Eternal. And so they saw him, and then and they saw he was sitting on the throne, and they saw him. And they ate before him. That was the wedding supper, the first one. And so his feet, as it were, you know, uh, paved work. He was sitting on the seat, the seat of glass, you know, the seat of glass. And he was right there in front of them, they were eating before him. Verse 11, but on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. In other words, he didn't kill them, because they saw his face. So they saw God, they saw Elohim, and they ate and drank at the wedding supper. Only at that point they had to serve themselves. Later on, this God said, I'm going to serve you. You're going to sit around the table and I'll serve you. We are all spirit beings. Verse 11, but on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand, so they saw God and they ate and drank. Verse 12, then the eternal said to Moses, now you come up. Okay, well, party's over. You all stay around and continue to eat and drink, have fun. But to Moses says, you come up to me on the mountain. I'm going to go up there and be there. And I will give you tables of stone and the law of the commandments. I'm going to give him the table of the stones and the law that he wrote on it. And the commandments, you know, it's all the same. Uh, the Jews have invented a false doctrine there and that was way, way, way down the road. Uh, Rabbi called Rabbi Se'adia Gaon came up with this idea. Ah, the law means the Torah, and the commandments means the, real, the oral law. And so that began, from that time on, they began to justify that anything the rabbis wrote, it was given to God, to, uh, by God in Sinai to Moses. This is not what God is saying. This is what man has invented. So you see the Babylonish uh, influence there on both the houses of Israel and Judah. And Basically, all it means is that God, you know, he's just repeating himself in different words. He gave them the Torah, and that Torah was made of commandments, many of them. 613 in the first five books, and then more and more and more and more were being added as time went by. Instructions, teachings, commandments, ordinances, precepts, you know, testimonies, things that he spoke through the high priest, and so forth. And told Israel as time went by, and then he came in the... In the, in the 
in the flesh, in person, continue to talk and give even more laws that can be found earlier. But actually, every time he gave an instruction to Israel, to the kings, that was a part of the law. Because the law means body of, of you know, of instruction, of teachings. Yeah. It's not, you know, you cannot use the English word for it because the English word law does not convey what the Torah is. Torah means, you know, a book of instructions. And it has everything. It's got poetry in it. It's got history in it. It's got medical uh, information in it. Agricultural information in it. Building construction information in it. And how God feels about this and that. It has songs in it. It has all kinds of things. Lamentations in it. So understand what law is from the point of view of God, not from the perversion that it became to be in the mind of people. And so it says, God told him, you come up to the mountain, I'm going to give it to you in person, the tables of stone, tablets of stone, because I'm going to write it in my own hands, as I did when he came down on the mountain, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to give it to you now. And the Torah, which includes all of, you know, the four chapters that you read from Genesis, well, that is Exodus 22, 24, and the commandments, which, you know, are part of it, you see? So God wants all to realize, it's not just Ten Commandments. People always talk about the Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments. And forget about the other chapters. God continued to talk. He didn't stop at that point. And God demanded that the, all of them be obeyed, not just the Ten. And so he said, and the commandments, which included all the others, which uh, I have written, uh, in specifically speaking about the Ten, because I have written those, but the others Moses wrote, that you may teach them. But in essence, the fact that God spoke it, it's as if he has written it too. Those were the words of God. But he's written them, so to speak, in the heart of Moses. And Moses just, you know, dictated that. So, oh, well, I mean, he, he was just uh, transferring that uh, with uh, pen and, uh, you know, and paper, so to speak, uh, in writing, so people can read it. And though, uh, that part was not on stone. The other one were on stone, the ten. The ten words. They're not even called commandments. They're called the ten words. And we have to understand that. Now, this is so. This is what the covenant later on is talking about. Uh, in verse 32. Not according to the covenant that I made with your fathers. In chapter 31. And so let's continue from that point on. Because God says, well, what is done is done. Uh, I'm going to forgive you. In verse 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbor... And every man his brother saying, Know the eternal, for they shall all know me. Nobody's going to be ignorant anymore. And from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the eternal. All shall know everything, not just bits and pieces. All of them are supposed to know everything. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Which means that now they are in iniquity and in sin, all the hands of Israel. And even those who are spiritual, we have our sins and iniquities. And he who says that I have no sin, God says, you are a liar. As you can read it in uh, the writings of John. And so verse 35, Thus is the Eternal who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Eternal is his name. Jehovah is his name. Not any other name that people give him. He's not interested in euphemism. The eternal, Jehovah. He says, that's my name. Just don't swear, you know, by my name in vain, but this is my name. 
And so the rabbi says, well, don't even mention that name, and if you do, that's blasphemy. No, God didn't say it's blasphemy, and Moses warned them. This is the book of the law, the Torah. You don't add to it, and you don't diminish, and man does just the opposite of what God tells him to do. That's why we have this confusion that is called Judaism and Christianity. And God calls it vomit to both of them. Both Judaism and Christianity are vomit to him. Because they're a mixture of truth and error, lies, acid that corrupts everything else. Just like that, you know, the stuff that comes out of your mouth when you vomit. God calls it for what it is. So we should not be satisfied with vomit that others give us. But the purity of it, and God says, God is spirit. And he must, and he seeks those who worship him in truth and in spirit. And his word is spirit. He's not inter- interested in vomit to be worshipped with. That's why he says, come out of Babylon, you're full of vomit. So in verse 36 he says, if those ordinances depart from me, so he's speaking about his people Israel, for those who say, well, God rejected them, they were, you know, nasty people, they all go to hell. He says, if those ordinances depart, you know, those laws that sustain the universe from me, says the Eternal, then the seed of Israel shall also cease. So why are there so many liars in our midst that claim that God did away with his people Israel and made us his people? There are so many in the past 2,000 years that have been saying just that. God rejected his people. And it says, and if those ordinances depart from me, from before me, says the Eternal, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me. And being a nation means being a church, being a wife, being a bride. Entirety of the package deal. That says the Eternal. If heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth, if the first analogy is not good enough, let's continue. If heaven above can, can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I also, or I will also cast off all the seed of Israel. In other words, since it cannot, therefore I will not. For all that they have done, says the Eternal. But he says, I'm not going to cast them for all that they have done. I'm going to forgive all their iniquities. And if need be, which obviously the need was there, he said, I'm going to give my life for my wife, for my bride. I'm going to go in and do it. And then say, well, forget all about you. I'm going to get me another woman. That's exactly what the false woman said. The whore God called her. And the hollows that came from her. And those who are being influenced by that theology to this very day. And so in verse 38 it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Eternal, that the city shall be built for the Eternal from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. The city of Jerusalem, when he comes to his own, not somebody, not anywhere, not any other place. I mean, if he chose somebody else, why go back to Jerusalem where the people of Judah are? And then bring all Israel back to the land. You know, if he married somebody else, let him go somebody else, you know, you would think. Why go there? That's because that's his church, that's his people, that's his city, that's why. He never rejected them. And so he continues the story about the city where it's going to be. And he gives you the location. Then verse 4 he says, And the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes of the people, you know, that are wicked, that came to fight against him when he came down, he says, there are going to be dead bodies and ashes. And that includes all the wicked that he's going to throw into there. 
and all the fields as far as the brook of Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be holy to the eternal. It shall not be plucked up or thrown down anymore forever. This is the church of God. This is the who and the what, the people in the city. So let's give glory to God and believe his words and not believe lies. And uh, let's go now to uh, chapter 32 and verse 36. Chapter 2 and verse 36. He says in uh, verse 36 of uh, Jeremiah chapter uh, 32, he says, Now therefore, thus says the Eternal, the God of Israel, concerning the city of which you say, it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. That was a time when God was going to deliver his people Judah because of their iniquity into the hand of Babylon. But that's not the end of the story. In verse 37, he said, Behold, I will gather them out of all the countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath, but I will bring them back to this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. And who is going to dispute that? Verse 39, Then I will give them one heart and one way, one religion, the religion is called way. What's the name of your religion? That they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, Verse 41, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. And yet people say, well, you Jews, you know, you go to hell. You people of Israel, God rejected you. We are not the church. You are no longer the church. You know, you are built against God. Who taught them that? Not God. Verse 42, so thus says the Eternal, Just as I have brought all this great calamity on these people, so I will bring on them all the good that I have promised them. Are there with any excuse who read these words and deny it? Are they really deceived? Or are they willfully deceived? Even though they read it and they deny it. Verse 43, And fields will be bought in this land, of which you say, It is desolate, without men or beasts. It has been given to, into the hand of the Chaldeans. And that's what they said at that time. And that's what they've been saying for the last many centuries. And that's what they're going to say again when the captivity, captivity of Judah occurs again. And the false church will claim, you see, we are the true church. You are not. And they will do that to all the house of Israel. And they would blaspheme God and blaspheme his church, which is the entirety of the nation of Israel. And verse 44, men will buy fields for money, sign deeds, and seal them, and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin, and the places around Jerusalem, and the cities of Judah, and the cities of the mountains, and the cities of the lowland, and the cities of the south, 
for I will cause their captives to return, says the Eternal. And he's not speaking only about the house of Judah, but about the entirety of the house of Israel. This prophecy is not only in part, but they include the entirety of the house of Israel, because partly they were fulfilled, but only partly when God brought only few of them, and they spread throughout the, you know, the land of uh, Judah. But that was not the end of the story, because certainly at that time he didn't give them one heart, and he didn't tell them he would never be uh, taken away from this. Well, you know, he's talking specifically about the end time. That was just a small part of it. And that's the way we have to read it. And then let's go to chapter 33, where we read in verse 4. For thus says the Eternal, the God of Israel, the husband, Jesus Christ, the leader of his people, the captain of his you know, the salvation of his people, the pioneer. You know, got to get it all together. He's the same God, the God of the, uh, the first church and the, uh, the God of the, of, the, of the continuation of that church, only now revitalized and renewed and salvaged. It's not another one. It's the same one. It's a continuum. Even though people claim it's not. But they're not speaking the truth. God is. So thus is eternal the God of Israel concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah, which have been pulled down to fortify against the siege mounds and the, and the, and the sword. They come to fight with the Chaldeans, but only to fill their places with the dead bodies of men whom I will slay in my, in my anger and my fury. All for those for whose wickedness I have hidden my face from this city. And every time when God saw his people in affliction and in suffering and sorrow and pain, including the Holocaust, this was the reality. He hid his face from them because of their iniquities, which they're not going to acknowledge until he comes back. Then they will. And so they blame God. Many of them blame God. God forsook us. God is dead, they say. They became, you know, atheists, totally denied religion. And many among the children of Israel, you know, totally denied the existence of God, believe in evolution, all the lies that they've invented. So they're all guilty of that. But God at that point, the days of Jeremiah, said, you're going to be punished now. Verse 7, And I will cause the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel to return. So, you see, it's not the end of the story. Well, actually, verse 6, we missed that one. So I said, first, I'm going to pour my fury on you, you know, cast you away, but that's not the end of the story. Verse 6, behold, I will bring it health, even though I brought it destruction, but I'm going to bring it health. I'm the physician and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. My peace I leave with you, he told his disciples, the children of Israel. Not like the peace of the world. Well, the peace they're trying to have now, his children in Judah, in Israel, or any other place where we have alliances with every country on the face of the earth and try to bring peace to Kosovo and peace here and peace there. That's what the peace is talking about. So I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. And I will cause the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel, the entirety of the nation of Israel, to return and will build those places as at the first, they are said, and I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me. Even though they think they were righteous, and they were wondering, well, we are so devout, 
You know, there, uh, many of the Jews think, you know, we're Orthodox Jews. We're devout. We obeyed you. How can you hid your face from us? Well, God doesn't consider their righteousness righteousness. That's a problem. But they don't see it from God's point of view. Because they've got their own religion. And they think that's God's religion. God, God calls it vomit. And Christianity also vomit. That's not the way of God. Verse 8, I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquity, which they thought were righteousness. All of them, house of Israel and house of Judah. Both religions, Christianity and Judaism, God calls it iniquity, because it's mixed with the teachings of Babylon. And so he said, I will pardon their iniquities by which they have sinned against me, as they sinned, and by which they have transgressed against me. Then it shall be to me a name of joy and praise and an honor before all nations of the earth, all the Gentiles, in contrast to Israel, the church. Who, will, who shall hear all the good that I do to them, and they shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and all the prosperity that I provide for it. Verse 10, Thus says the Eternal again, There shall be heard in this place of which you say it is desolate, without men and without beasts. He repeats that again. In the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem, not in heaven, not in any other place that people think, in the streets of Judah and Jerusalem that are desolate without men, and, you know, for the entirety of the nation, and without inhabitant and without beast, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. Who is the bride and the bridegroom? The bride and the bridegroom. That's what he's talking about in specific. And then when the people come, they too are going to have their own marriages. But he's speaking first about his own. With Israel, when he makes a car, a new covenant with them, enter into marriage with them. That's the marriage is talking about, the bridegroom and the bride, and then their own. And they shall say, Praise the Eternal of hosts, for the Eternal is good, for His mercy endures forever. That's what they're going to say after that marriage. And at this point we shall stop, and uh, this is Mordecai Joseph again, saying greetings to all of God's people, and we shall continue next time.